I was taught how to sing a lot of those songs like by my sister you know like so I could sing I could sing Can't Stand Losing You by the police from beginning to end when I was about five you know and I and then I would be wheeled out in front of my sisters and friends and people to sing this because I was this five-year-old boy who could sing police songs and Elvis Costello songs. Welcome to the Social Fabric podcast with me Andrea Splendori and this week my guest is Oliver Cole. Oliver is a singer-songwriter and former frontman of the band Turn. The music in this podcast has been shortened for right reason. The program is also broadcast on Near FM 90.3. Please subscribe, share and review. It's the only way podcasts like this have a chance to survive. The title tune is Alice by Lucky Bone. We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Just sit and talk a while. That's a black and white. I like it. But I think I'm flipped as well. I don't like it's weird. It's quite all right. I'm only using the audio anyway, so that's quite all right. Yeah. How are things? So, uh, oh, grand, grand. I mean, it's an, uh, it's a nice day today, which is nice. We live in a, in a we live in North County Dublin, so like near kind of scaries and oh nice yeah, so so many. I I've only lived I've lived here about four or five years now. We bought a house and moved out of the city when our daughter was born. But um, there's just so much to do around. Like you've got the sea, you've got the like the Guard Gillen is really nice for walks. There's just loads of, uh, really nice outdoor kind of things. Mm, that's great but it's grim in the winter but because you there's i suppose what i missed about living in the city was even in the winter you still had lots you could do like restaurants and cinemas and you know all that sort of stuff uh so the i suppose the city's a bit more it works in all seasons whereas out here when it's when it's cold and it's raining (laughs) there's not much to do (laughs) But anyway, the question I was going to ask you was um, when you said pick three songs, are they yeah. anybody songs? Could be yours, could be anybody else, whatever you want. Yeah, I'll, I can pick um, three songs, yeah. Premises of these, uh, now, I don't know, you're number 127 or something like that. You know, I spoke to quite a lot of people. And uh, yeah, and I love it. And I absolutely love it. And I've had quite a few musicians because I absolutely love music and and uh, and I do another little show that is called In the Neighborhood. It's just it's just a music show, uh, and that's where I came across your music. I started and, and I turned it into. Now I just try to play just uh, Irish and unsigned or the ones that don't get many many shots on radio. You know, because that, again, yeah. you, know, you listen the to the ones that. The ones that can't afford a PR person, basically. <laughs> yeah, like a... and, and it's a pain. It's 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 really like I'm, I've discovered so much amazing new music, and now a couple of the PR guys got a wind, and they sending me lovely new stuff. And uh, and I remember playing uh, this girl Zoe Clark. She's eighteen. She was eighteen. She was the first single. And the way I see it, I might love your music, and some other people doesn't. And you know, it, music is music. It's whatever you like or you don't like. So I just thought nice music. I played it. And I got an email from uh, her mom the next day to say, look, we all sat around the radio to listen to Zoe's song being played on the radio. It's the first time we sent the music to every single radio station. Nobody bothered to play it. And I was like, you know, 
that's, that's a girl that now hopefully produce an album. She's 18. She loves to play music. And just a nice thing to do, you know. No yeah. Knows. <laughs> a, yeah, no, it's always, that's, it's always nice to uh, be able to help and to have the help appreciated. Yeah. yeah like I teach, I, I teach in a music college as well. And I give, I've been giving lectures online. I, I teach songwriting. So I'm giving lectures online about songwriting all the time. And I have one student at the moment who's a girl from Germany. She's unbelievable. She's the best I've ever heard. Like just unbelievable singer, musician, lyricist, the whole lot. She's special. Uh, but the other day when I was finishing a class, she says, oh, do you mind if I stay on for a second? So everybody else left the Zoom class and she stayed on and she just thanked me. She just told me that she really enjoyed my lectures and that it was really inspiring and that I was a great teacher. And I've been teaching for years. No one ever said that to me. You think, I think people just forget to say, and it's such a tiny thing, but it really, really, I felt it. You know what I mean? Like, I I don't know, like, it's such an easy thing to be, to show gratitude. And then, and then it's such a nice thing to receive it, but yet it's not done enough. (laughs) <laughs> no, I totally agree. I totally agree. But let's start. To, I, I have the thing recording, but it will start from now, if that's okay. Um, nope. Let's start from there, actually, Oli, because that's one thing that absolutely fascinates me, um, songwriting. And uh, and I was going through and doing a little bit of research, and there was a, I think it was on one of your social, I'd say it was Facebook, I can't actually remember where it was, but there was a, a picture of a, of a book that I think you just received uh, by Jeff Tweedy, How to Write a One Song. Uh, yeah. So... Tell me about songwriting in general. Tell me about how you're teaching. It's just, it's just a fascinating thing. I, somebody said to me on this podcast, everybody can write a song. I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. But I wonder, can everybody write a song? Um, I think you could, probably, you could probably teach everybody how to write a song, maybe. Um, but I think what you're looking for, it's an art form, isn't it, really? So what you're looking for, is you're ideally trying to express something that isn't expressed elsewhere or something. You're trying to, you're trying to reach for that thing. And and really great music does that, you know, it doesn't, it might even be literal. Like it, it, the, 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 it's like the work has a spine. It's face. It's, it's there. It's not really visible, but you know, it's there. It's almost, it's almost telling you something about yourself are giving you a security that you're not the only person who thinks like this or, or feels this or something. So I guess to be you, I see, I know a lot of people who can write songs and they're really good. And, you know, you could read a book and it could tell you certain things like, you know, you know, if you're in this key, start your melody on this note and there's certain music theory things that will work but really, I think you have to be the type of person who wants to express something and wants to look for those things. And that's kind of where the magic of songwriting is for me. Uh, like, I've always been more interested in those types of songwriters, the, the deeper ones, the Joni Mitchells, the Elliot Smiths, the people who, who dig deep. <laughs> emotionally or something so I guess uh, 
it's a it's a pursuit. It's for for me, songwriting is a constant pursuit almost. Like it never it never stops. I never stop searching, trying to be better at it. And I can I had a weird weird thing happen to me in the last few years where I always I grew up in kind of indie rock bands and the the kind of nature I suppose of indie rock is that it's it's kind of about alienation about being different than everyone else you know so you know you deliberate you deliberately make your music odd you know you kind of you know and when I was writing the band I used to be in turn I was always looking for something a bit strange like a melody just something that was a bit odd and then I'd be able to base a whole song around that and then something happened to me a while ago where I really started to appreciate the simple kind of craft of song. So it's kind of like, uh, well, I, do you know what? It's a bit of a tangent here, but I, I was listening to uh, a podcast about the comedian. What's his name? Stuart Lee, is it? He's a bit of an odd comedian. And he talks about, he's talking about comedy, but he said something that made so much sense to me. He said that he was always trying to be real left of centre. He was always trying to deliver comedy and break all the rules. And then he realised that he needed to just come out and stand there with a microphone and be the comedian that everybody expected and use that as the vehicle to deliver. So he says, he says it looks like I'm a regular comedian, but it, and he's subverting the text within the normal. And when he was talking about it, I was thinking, that's kind of where I've come with songwriting. I've I've gone back to these simpler kind of folk type chord structures and the music is simpler, but the message is still is deeper. <laughs> you know, I've I've stopped being an indie rock kid and I've I've started to I've stopped trying to reinvent the wheel and now I'm just trying to make my wheel a good wheel <laughs> or something. And is that to do, do you think, is that to do with, um, and not necessarily a, a biological age, but an age, like a growth within the, the craft, that when you start it? I think. Okay. I think so, yeah. I think a respect for uh, craft as well. You know, it's like when you hear, like you mentioned Tom Waits before we started, um, when you hear a song like Martha and you realize he was what at whatever 20 or something when he wrote that it's on closing time isn't it like unbelievable craft uh when you listen to a song like strawberry blonde by ron sexsmith that canadian songwriter it's just unbelievable craft the the lyrics there's like he tells an amazing story in like three verses in the middle eight it's just pure craft mm. so i think i started to uh really admire those those types of songwriters more like I said I love people like Joni Mitchell uh, I got really interested by in a songwriter called Elliot Smith for a while and learning to play his songs taught me a lot like he taught it just taught me a lot about instrument skills because they're really they've got lots of chords and they're really complicated and just by sort of singing those songs I my arsenal of melody and chords got a lot bigger but I think, yeah, it's it's kind of like I like the comfort now in a familiar chord progression. 
something I would have hated as a younger man. I would have mm. been like, mm. you know, I would have been, I would have been listening to the Pixies, Nirvana, Sonic Youth, kind of all the garagey kind of uh, guitar noise bands. And like, I would have now, now I find myself, it's definitely getting older and stuff. Now you find yourself like listening to, I don't know, like some early Billy Joel song comes on the radio and you're like, whew, that's a well-written middle age. <laughs> you know what I mean? like, stuff that the younger me would have punched me for saying. Uh, but you mentioned, you mentioned chord and progression. So, and this is a question I think I asked most of the musicians that have been on this podcast. How do you, do you, how do you write the song? Do you start from the melody? Do you start from the lyrics? So it, it, whatever way it comes up first? Or is, do you have I a bit of a structure? 90% of the time I start with the guitar or the piano and I just find something again. It's like finding that thing. That's almost, almost really familiar, but it's just got that one little, little extra thing or unexpected slight thing that makes it unique, you know? So when I think about, um, and sometimes now I will do it on purpose, on purpose. Like I have a song on the new record called you were the right turn. And it was it, like when I started writing it, I had the, the, don't you cry no more, child. You had everything you needed written down so you could read it. And that, that was where the melody stopped. But then I knew kind of, I was like, oh, it's too normal. I was like, what, what happens if I just add another bar, half a bar of melody on, which would be kind of unusual. So then it becomes, don't you cry no more, child. You had everything you needed written down so you could read it. If you understand the land, you'll get back in. So now it's a little odd. Okay. So the first time you hear it, the first time you hear it, even if you know nothing about music, you kind of know that that's a slightly unusual melodic phrase. And then the next time, and then because the melodic phrase is repeated and repeated and repeated, like by the third or fourth time you hear it in the second or third verse, now you're starting to kind of enjoy it. <laughs> you're starting to go, oh, you know, you can, you, you get it. So sometimes when I'm writing a song, I'm fine. I find something as simple as that. Something is like, I was probably playing the guitar, singing that. And then I just went, oh, what happens if I do this? And then I was like, got it. Like, I didn't really know what I was. I knew I was looking for something and I was just, trying things and then I found it but for me I play the guitar all the time much to the annoyance of my uh, wife because like I play the guitar watching films I play the guitar when I get up in the morning I've played the pianos over here I play the piano all the time and I'm usually I don't know I don't know what I'm looking for but I know when I find it it's sometimes it's just I just find a combination of chords or notes that just please me and then I'm like great and then the horrible pursuit of <laughs> trying to figure out what it is what it is you have to say or you know that that for me is the hardest and the slowest part of the process is trying to write just trying to write a song about something that matters and like I can write throwaway kind of songs that just sound good as well I could do that really quickly and that's never a problem but sometimes I have a piece of music that's just so beautiful and so special to me that I know it needs a really important lyric it, it needs to be about something 
And then I just play, like I have one song. I'm thinking of one song at the moment that I've been playing maybe for about three months. And I pick up the guitar and I play it and I just start singing. I, I'm trying to like not even think about what I'm saying. But I'm almost like fishing. I'm just hoping that the, 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 it's going to reveal itself to me at some point. I'm going to suddenly understand what it is this song is telling me or wants to be. So um, that's the process. It's kind of like a constant. And I, I've heard every songwriter because I read an awful lot about songwriters and I, I've kind of watched, listened to podcasts and I've heard them all sort of talk about that process of just doing it it's it's like it's not something you 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 do on a day it's something you constantly do like you you have this song you're working on and you're thinking about it while you're in the queue in the shop like it's it's you're looking all that you're trying to build it and slow i i would i would probably do some songs really really quickly like i just sit down start singing and the thing that comes out of my mind comes out of my mouth it's just good and I, I'm just like whoa sounds like it's a particular talent I think as well talent maybe is the wrong word but skill being able to just talk, talk without thinking about what you're saying like being able to sort of tap into some your subconscious in some way and music allows you to do that because you're playing something and you start to sing and you're really singing you're really singing just to form some kind of melody, but you're saying stuff. Now you're not paying attention to what you're saying, but I sort of record everything in my voice memos. So sometimes when I listen back to, like, I have, like I'll just talk into my phone, uh, go like idea for ballads, you know, it's in G and I'll put the phone down and I'll play the piano and I'll sing something without really thinking about what I'm saying. And often when I listen back to that voice memo, it's there. The song, the like the thing that sort of fell from my unconscious mind is it's it's there. Mm. And then I have to try and decipher it. <laughs> I have to go, what is this I'm trying to say? So it's a, I really, really love the process. I find it difficult, like that song I'm talking about that I've had for three months that I still don't know what it is. That's that's kind of difficult. But I'm not under any pressure. It'll it'll happen when it happens, I suppose. Great. Sounds fascinating. I'm going to ask you a couple more things on that because I'm just very curious about it. But tell me about it. So speaking of songwriters, what's your first song? What did you pick or what would you pick? Let's pick, um, I think I'm going to pick this Elliot Smith song called Between the Bars. Very simple, beautiful song. And it was probably, I, Elliot Smith became a sort of a, uh, I was a big fan of his and I think he taught me a lot about lyric writing. He taught, he kind of showed me that I wasn't good enough and I needed to be better. And uh, th I think this is the first song of his I ever heard. I was in a clothes shop and somebody was playing and I had to go up to the counter and go, who is that? <laughs> so that can be my first choice, I suppose. Drink up, baby, stay up all night. With the things you could do, you won't, but you might. The potential you'll be that you'll never see. The promises you'll only make. Drink up with me now. 
I'm just curious about uh, the the progress. So, like, you've been doing music a long time. Um, tell me how you get into, and tell me a little bit about that from from way back when to now, um, and not so much. Like, I'm just curious about how it's changing for you, and are you still in love with it for the for the same reasons? that you got into in the first place? Or is it just like Liam said to me, Liam and Wendland say to me, it's something I have to do. It's not, I have no choice. I'm like a bee, you know, I make I make music, bees make honey. Yeah, I think that I, I've had a rough enough relationship with music, I think, um, very, from a very, very young age. I mean, I'm, I'm there's only I'm from a family of eight children and there's I've one younger brother so I'm nearly the youngest so I had lots of elder siblings and they were all into music uh, my sister Jarrah especially big Elvis Costello fan the police Blondie all that sort of stuff but I was like a kid I was like four or five so I was kind of I was taught how to sing a lot of those songs like by my sister you know like so I could sing I could sing Can't Stand Losing You by the police from beginning to end when I was about five, you know, and I and then I would be wheeled out in front of my sisters and friends and people to sing this because I was this five-year-old boy who could sing police songs and Elvis Costello songs. And then uh, that sort of, all the way through school, all the way through, I was absolutely obsessed with music, like obsessed. Uh, my poor mother, because we just had one record player in the kitchen, and I'd just come home from school, take out whatever it was. I remember being on, I remember playing the Water Boys, the Hole of the Moon, like the, the song on on the record. It would end, and I'd just pick up the needle and go back to the beginning. And my mother would be screaming at me to just stop playing that song. <laughs> and then went through huge sort of fate. Like I was incredibly fanatical about music. Never kicked a football. Never played tag with other kids just no not to this day i've no interest in sport of any kind i've no interest in playing it looking at talking about it don't care so i was and i don't know why because the rest of my family aren't really like this but i was absolutely obsessed with music obsessed but also from a very young age thinking about how how i would do it like i wasn't like most people were enjoying music listening to it but I was already imagining myself doing I used to have these dreams that Freddie Mercury would suddenly die and Queen would ask me a seven-year-old boy to be their singer <laughs> you know what I mean and I used to have the same dream I think about it's the same kind of fantasy about someone like Sting dying and for some reason Sting would hire me a seven or eight-year-old boy to be the singer so Growing up where I did in Kells, I didn't have any friends who were really into music. Uh, so I just kind of, I think I got my first guitar when I was maybe eight or nine and it was from a neighbor. A neighbor uh, gave it to me and I taught myself, just kept playing it, kept playing it. And I remember sitting, I was on the bottom bunk. And my brother slept on the top bunk. So I'd, I'd have that little kind of space between the, between the top bunk and the bottom bunk. And I just lived in there with the guitar, just playing it all the time. And I think I probably wrote my first song the day I picked up that guitar. 
I wrote something and just pursuing it and pursuing it. And then eventually uh, a neighbor of mine who'd been to art college in Dublin, he'd been to NCAD and he was a little bit older than me. I remember him coming back to Kells and he was like, do you want to be in a band? I was like, absolutely, let's do it. And we were we started a band called Swamp Shack with myself, John Mulvaney and uh, the drummer Ian Milady. So it was just three of us. We were incredibly influenced by the Pixies and Nirvana. And we just sounded exactly like the Pixies and Nirvana and all that stuff. But that would that's that became it was a great thing because it kind of went on. And then, then after that, I started a band called Turn, which was me and the drummer from Swamp Check. Uh, the bass player was gone and we just got another bass player and we started Turn. We got a record deal and we were touring around England and we were doing all this stuff. And that was really exciting. Like I got my first publishing deal when I was like 20 something. And it was a big chunk of money to give to a 20 something year old. And there was all this excitement but the band was like this really kind of energetic loud rock band thing sometimes and I felt I, I remember even feeling then like I wanted to do like a solo project that was more um like you know I still loved my Cat Stevens and my Neil Young and my all I still loved all of those type of songwriters uh, but now I was in this kind of grunge, loud kind of band, which was really good fun. But I wasn't getting to do uh, other. I remember talking to even the manager at the time going like, can I just do like a side project thing, like under a different name? Because I've got this bunch of these songs, you know. And there was a few people who surrounded Turn at the time, uh, like especially the publishing company that were saying, you need to do a solo record. That's what you should be doing. But anyway, the long and short of it was the turn thing went for six years, really. And great times, toured America, toured England, loads of times. We got to the point where we could, you know, sell out like a Vicar Street in, in Dublin or wherever. It was, it was good. And it kind of imploded. Uh just like most rock and roll bands do, they just eventually, you know, if it if it doesn't keep building, as soon as it sort of stagnates at a certain level, it becomes really uh, volatile. <laughs> everything, relationships, everything, you know. So then um, it was only after, after that that I kind of feel in some ways I went back, my songwriting went back to being the type of song where I was as a child underneath that bunk bed in some ways. Like the kind of, the 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 guy from NCAD knocking on my door and it played me a Pixies record for the first time. It was like, it was this wonderful diversion that brought me all the way, all this big, huge loop back to like, like I actually honestly feel that the record I just brought out, Father, Brother, Son, is the record I've been trying to make my whole life in some ways, just this sort of classic songwriting thing, you know, I got, uh, I got, uh, so I got sucked into trying to be cool. <laughs> it's interesting. It's interesting. See, I was listening to it uh, this afternoon uh, as I was working away and I, I play some of the songs on the, on the little show that I have on near FM. And uh, so I'm quite familiar with it and, and it's the, my type of music. Um, but 
just the last question on that because it's interesting. You, you went through you 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 did watch a lot of us. Um, I was I was never. I can play the guitar, but I was never good enough to to be in a band. Now we're in a band now in my fifties, but and I've been yeah, for the last <laughs> I've been for the last six years. But uh, but before that, uh, I always had those dreams. I, I can't remember who I wanted to be or who I wanted to replace. But I never had, I never experienced what you experienced. You know, the touring and all of that. And I, I'm just curious. I know you're saying you you're now going back to what, but do you not miss any of that? Like, it was that just a moment in time that was. And look, and I know you're still producing records. You're still you're selling records. I mean, at the moment, it is, I don't know what you're selling, but uh, you know how you sell as a band camp or whatever. But yeah, that bit of like you know having tour managers. Yeah, I know. I there's parts of it. I there's parts of it I miss for sure, but I don't remember being happy in okay. those times. Now, what? contributed to that unhappiness I suppose there was lots lots of things um I do remember feeling stressed a good bit and um probably a lot of a lot of things there was definitely a very exciting I remember our first kind of tour of the UK we had a tour manager and it was a tour bus you know with the beds on it and the whole the whole deal, you know what I mean? So like that's that's a really, really exciting moment for a, the kid who is under the bunk bed practicing the guitar. You know, it's like, hey, look at this, you know. And we had an awful lot of fun on that tour, like really, really, really good fun. And we actually, you know, I really loved all of it, really. Uh, but yeah, like I loved it. The, the memory of it, I think now looking back on it is, is good. But I, I, I remember being a bit stressed at the time and not really sure, not sure I was happy musically. Like I remember when we finished recording our first album, I wanted to do it again. And I remember the, the lads of the band were just telling me, what is wrong with you? And I was always thinking it wasn't good enough or it needed to be better or whatever. It was it's like, and, I, and that's, it's very hard to be the person who always wants to push for it to be better. And you're surrounded by everybody who's just constantly telling you, Oh, don't be silly. Like it's of course it's good enough. Like, cause like the record company are going to tell you that cause they're paying for the recording studio. So they, they want, they, they want it done as soon as possible. And most people, m- most people around me, uh, were constantly telling me not to worry. And I was constantly worried. <laughs> so, uh, and then I, I was very, when it, when it finished, when Turn finished, I remember being very, uh, I suppose now looking back and I was probably depressed. I mean, I definitely remember spent, I definitely spent a couple of years uh, just drinking, uh, keeping the curtains closed during the day, uh, kind of going out at night with the intention of, of uh, blotting out my brain. Uh, so that was a really that was a really hard period i suppose when it finished but then and then i was bitter i had this really horrible period that you have to be very careful of like i didn't even listen to anyone else's music i was bitter about the whole thing and annoyed i hated people talking to me about music business uh all that sort of stuff 
And thankfully that passed. Thankfully, as a songwriter, I just kept writing, you know. Brilliant. I, I have a couple of questions on that. Let, tell me about your second song, Oli, please. Um, let's pick a song I've been listening to quite a bit recently is a song uh, called Amelia by Joni Mitchell. I just yep. love it. I just, it's for me and for your listeners, if they're going to listen to it, just check it out. Just as it's a beautiful piece of lyric, like proper, proper poetry. Yeah, she is un, she's unpar- unparalleled, unequaled as a lyricist in my opinion. Just fantastic. Brilliant. I was driving across the burning desert when I spotted six jet planes leading six white vapor trails across the bleak terrain. It was the hexagram of the heavens, it was the strings of my guitar. It was just a false alarm. I'm just looking through the discography and like a few albums, but in around, you know, when you start to do your solo stuff, it was around, you know, 2009, 2010, in around that time. And that's really when, when a lot of the music, the music world started to change as well with the iPods and... And, and, you know, and oh, yeah. how it's just, I'm just, I'm just fascinated. And, and as, as we said before, we started recording, I absolutely love music. And, I, and I, I, you know, I think the majority of us love music. But yes, we're now in a world where I can listen to music for free. Uh, and that's it. And, and you creating, you're spending three months now trying try to craft this song, this amazing song is going to come out of, of your of your head, of your emotions, your experience, and then I can just go off and listen somewhere for free. And yeah, and this is it's 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 really hard. It's it's a big it's a big problem. It's a big problem because uh, you Why, know how are they allowed? I just don't understand how they're allowed to do it. I mean, I just did a you know back of the cigarette box type of calculations. Is that what you call it? Like the mm. other day, really quickly. Mm. Uh, I found out there are 660,000 Spotify subscribers in Ireland. So this isn't counting Apple Music or Deezer or other. This is just Spotify. So 660,000 uh, subscribers in Ireland alone. So to, su- to subscribe to Spotify costs 10 euro a month. That is 66 million euro that leaves Ireland every month. And goes to Spotify. That's Ireland. Ireland's a small country of five million people. Yep. Can you imagine what's coming out of Germany that has eighty-five million people yep. or whatever? So this is on. This is really, really, really unfair now because there is enough money. There is enough money for everyone, but it's what they have to treat Spotify, and this it takes governments and arts councils and everybody to come together and have one thought on this because Spotify is an unbelievable resource. It should never go away. It's brilliant. Like it's brilliant. I use it myself. It's a really, really great resource, but for it to be owned by an individual is wrong because it's part of the fabric of our life. 
music. It, it should be accessible to everybody. It should be controlled. I think a lot of tech companies, the, the, a lot of that stuff has to be reevaluated now because it, it don't, I, I, think, I don't think it can be privately owned, this stuff. It has to be owned and, and maintained and nurtured by all of us. You know, I don't know how how this happens, but I I I but I also don't understand why why one person is getting away with making that much money off the back of a whole, and it wouldn't happen in any other industry. The only reason it happens in the music industry is because we're going to make music anyway, so people take advantage yeah. of it. I know. I told artists you. are not businessmen. I totally agree. Yeah. And so my question is, because I, I, I do fear, so your latest album is, is, is a lovely album. I, I, I really like it. But Thank you. If, and I'm not saying because you're here, because I, I've been listening. Mm. I love the songs. And it's one particular one I want to ask you something about in a minute. But if I were to ask you, if, if you had, and I don't need to know your finances. That's not what I'm here for. But if, if you, I don't, whatever the number of streams, if there were people buying your records, uh, you you know it would be a different budget, right, to create the album. Would you have would you have gone say for example would you have include a couple of extra musicians? You know would have done a slightly different production because you would have it would have been easier to do. Would have been you would have had the budget to do it or because it does my fear that a lot of the music is not yours, but it, I can now sit down there and record a, a song and stick it on Spotify. Spotify. I need a couple of microphones and. You know, and that's the quality is my rubbish quality as a, a bad songwriter and singer, and and I'm just wondering, is it impacting the the quality yeah, so of the music? A, that's another thing. That's another thing now is, and this is going to sound maybe a little bit mean. Just way too much crap music. There's way too much crap music in the world because in the old days, there was an A and R man who was hopefully good at his job and there's been a few legendary A&R men like the David Geffens and people like this of the world they were able to spot something that was remarkable in some way they were able to nurture it they were able to finance it and control could help bring it to wherever it is so now like you said we live in this uh, culture where you can buy a program like Logic for your computer and logic is a world-class studio you know what i mean it's it's a world-class piece of software it's what beyonce is using but some kid can plug it in in their bedroom and use this software and make something and i call it really i see it a lot this kind of copy and paste music like where they've clearly just come up with a drum loop and copied and pasted it for the whole song and there's some midi instruments playing the same kind of patterns that are just copying and pasting along so now, now when somebody says to you, you have to hear this new artist or something like that, you, you're immediately kind of thinking, oh, it's probably not going to be that special because there's way too much not special around. Like, it's really hard to find the jewels in the dirt. There's just way too much dirt. And uh, I'm not even talking about my, I'm not talking about myself as I'm a jewel, like I'm some jewel in the dirt. I'm talking about anything. There's so much good music that is not getting heard because there's just way too much noise. There's noise bloody everywhere, like interference. And 
yeah, so that's another that's another sort of issue, I suppose. And there's lots of issues with Spotify in Ireland because we don't. Most countries have a Spotify. Like if you can get your song in a Spotify playlist, you can go from having ten thousand plays to ten million plays. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But the people who pick the songs that go in the Spotify playlist, like no one knows who they are or anything, and we don't have an Irish rep. We have to go through London. Uh, yeah, which is really difficult because, like, the amount of music getting released in Ireland is huge. But so not not only are you sort of competing with your own artists in your own country, the amount of music being released in England every week is ten times bigger, and you're trying to compete with that. So it's a there's a lot of noise. I I think the the old system of um, where the, the nurturing and the A&R thing, there was probably a lot of, that's why people would probably remember the music from the 60s and 70s and 80s as some of the best music ever made because it probably will stand the test of time as being that. Do you know what, what fascinates me? When I started this at a program on, on near Fen um, the, in the neighbourhood, um, whenever I put out the set list that I put out, and as I say, I'm just an amateur DJ, but you know, all I'm doing, I'm playing the music that I feel is resonate that particular week. But what fascinated me was I put it out on one of the social media to say this week I'm playing Ollie Cole, etc. 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 And all of you came back to say thanks a million for it. And and I thought that's fast just what we were talking about at the very beginning. For me to to get that validation from you guys said thanks for playing my song. But I guess the same is true the other way around. I mean, is the validation of your craft being heard? by somebody that, that sometimes with Spotify, okay, it's a play, but do you get, you know, you, you don't sell the records as you used to, where you go, okay, okay I sold 50 records this week or hundred or million or whatever it was. Uh, is that that missing as well in, the, in this digital world? Yes, I think so. And especially now, because there's no gigs and no yeah. talking with other people after a gig or anything like that. So you don't see anything uh when somebody like there's an app you can use if you're a spotify artist and you can log on and it tells you how many plays you got today and all that sort of stuff but i couldn't be looking at stuff like that like you just don't really like sometimes they'll send you an email saying your album was streamed fifteen thousand times this month or something and like definitely there's a part of you that looks at that and goes oh that's good you know that's more than the last record or whatever uh but yeah i suppose it's a funny funny contactless kind of way of listening to music like when there's nothing tangible changing hands yeah yeah okay tell me about your last song there number three ollie and then we'll ask you something about yeah one of your songs from your album so my favourite lockdown album is uh, Laura Marling's album. It's called Songs for Our Daughter. Got me through the whole first lockdown, I think. Somebody uh, somebody sent it my way. Uh, a really good friend of mine that I trust, you know, and he, he knows me very well. He, he just sent me a message going, you are going to love this. <laughs> so stuck it on and weirdly didn't love it straight away because it is very... She... She's very influenced by Joni Mitchell and kind of wears it on her sleeve a little bit too much sometimes. So like, it's very easy to dismiss it on first listen and just go, ah, there we go. But I stuck with it 
and I absolutely adore every little inch of it now, every second. So I go for a song on that called uh, The End of the Affair, it's called. It's just this record reminds me a lot of my own record in its ambitions. Like it's all organic instrumentation played by real human beings. It's guitar, bass, drums, piano and strings. So her record, the instrumentation, the approach to songwriting craft, the care, it's a, it's very like my own record. Like they, they came out, mine came out after hers, but near enough. But they kind of hark back to it. They hark back to a different way of making records, even, you know, like my record was recorded, you know, in a studio, like with a real drummer and a bass player and mics. And when we recorded strings, we used real string players. And it's very difficult to make that type of record. Now it's expensive. It takes a lot more time and care. But sometimes... Sometimes it's worth it. I suppose it's like, I was trying to think the other day, it's like those uh, film auteurs that insist on using 35 millimeter real film or something, you know, and the everything is, every single part of the set is real and nothing is CGI'd and everything. But it's usually worth it, isn't it? Even in those movies, it's usually worth it. You, you, you feel like, oh, this is harking back to a better time. This is harking back to a more real, less digital age. <laughs> Though they may want you to tread in their trail Only to see if the path they've set fails Though they may want you to take off your clothes Ever they think that the action exposed with your clothes on the floor. Lovely. Um, I don't know that album. I love Laura, Laura Marlins, but it's a perfect. Oh, oh man, it's so brilliant. It's yeah, so no. brilliant. Trust me. I'll catch it out. But uh, it's a perfect segue to what I was going to ask you. So on your last album, which I think was came out last December, if I'm correct, uh, or thereabouts, you know, yeah, at yeah. the end of the year. October, I think. October, sorry. Um, but you, had, you have a November, great song. November, sorry. <laughs> November, there you go. I had yeah. December. So we all both got it wrong, but that's... <laughs> there you go. You have a song um, called Choose Carefully, Emily, and it's a duet with your daughter. And... I absolutely love, I love her voice. I don't know anything about you. I don't know what age you, I'm going to ask yeah. you in a second. There's a lovely uh, video, uh, Richard Davis drawings, but there's a, an amazing line in it that says, will nettled bite at my feet? And I absolutely yeah. love that. And I'm going to ask you, first of all, if you, if you, how old is your daughter? And who wrote that line? <laughs> so me, So the song is, you could call the song a kind of a co-write, but I would, I, I've been playing that song to her since she was maybe two. There's a little ukulele on the wall in our kitchen. So if I was waiting for the kettle to boil or anything like that, I'd take down <laughs> the ukulele. I'd take down the ukulele. And I, in the beginning, I only had one verse. I was like, if you eat an apple seed, oh my, will it grow? So I just had this idea that if she eats an apple seed, will she turn into an apple or whatever? You know, that was the kind of beginning of the song. But then she used to suggest when she got to like three or four, she'd be like, what about a pumpkin seed? And I'd be like, you eat a pumpkin seed? And then 
she would sing little parts of it. And then so she she picked the pumpkin seed one. I think I did. I wrote the sunflower seed one and she was the, the acorn, I think, is the last one. So I, we can definitely call it a co, co-write that developed. I never thought I'd rec- I never really thought about recording this song. It was a very private thing that I used to just sing to her to make her laugh. And then I was making this record, Father, Brother, Son, which was all about my own relationship with my mother. And my mother had recently passed away. And I was kind of, it's the first song on Father, Brother, Son is called All Your Love. And it's kind of about my mother caring for me. And it's, it opens up like that. But then the record finishes with with this little duet between me and my daughter. So it just felt because Father, Brother, Son was this this album about family. I suppose that's why it's called Father, Brother, Son, because I am all of those things. And because it was such a personal record, I just, I I kind of, I'd forgotten really, but I think it was my wife that said to me, you should put that song that you and Emily have as the last song of the record. And I was like, good idea. So we recorded it when Emily was five and we just recorded it like she was in the room, I was in the room and I, I have a little recording studio in my house. We recorded that here, just like, you know, two mics and a, and a ukulele. But it's it turned into a real, this is another thing I suppose that I love about songwriting is sometimes you don't really know what you're doing until you do it. And I had all of those verses where, you know, she eats the apple seed, she turns into the apple and she eats the uh, pumpkin seed, she turns into pumpkin and sunflower seed and she grows real tall and everything. It's, it's a real cute little song. It's quite visual. But it ends the day, I think, before before we recorded it, I was trying to think of a way to end the song, another verse. And I was just thinking, just allowing my brain be empty, really. So I came up with uh, just the very last phrase, which says, if you're going to eat some kind of seed, choose carefully, Emily. But that single line makes the whole song makes because now it sounds like it's a parable of sorts or a fable, like like everything you like, even though I'm talking about eating seeds and her, it's like you're giving advice to a little five year old that everything she does will have a consequence. But I didn't the song didn't mean that until that line just presented itself to me. Like I didn't sit down with the intention to write that. I just says, oh, I'll finish it with, if you're going to eat some kind of seed, choose carefully, Emily. And then like, I was just amazed at myself. I was like, oh my God, it's amazing. (laughs) Like I remember, (laughs) I'm constantly telling my wife, I'm a genius. I have come up (laughs) with it. And she's like, what is it now? But uh, it's a it's it. a lovely song. It's a lovely song, and uh, the, the Richard Davis the the illustration is is absolutely brilliant with it with the video. It just it just really works, and it's it really I don't know cute. Is, I don't know if it's the right word, but it's it's a lovely lovely it is, tune. So it's it is super cute. Like um, if I if I die, even if I make another twenty records before I die, that will be the best thing I've ever done. Like I'm, I'm not going to do anything better than that. Like the simple moment of joy, even like singing the song with Emily and like every, if I happen to hear that song, uh, I heard somebody playing it recently on uh, the radio and I stopped, I was in the kitchen and it came on the radio and I was listening to it 
And just the moment when her voice comes in and she starts singing, just little five-year-old Emily, like every time, every time it just takes my breath away. I'm just, it's just so wonderful. I mean, she's my daughter, obviously, and I'm really proud of her, but I even think for other people who, who did, it's just quite sweet, her little voice, and she's trying her best to sing properly. <laughs> That's brilliant. But tell me something, just just to finish off on the on the old songwriting thing. Do you ever? I mean, there's obviously there's a cathartic process, and you mentioned your latest album is all about your relationship with your family, and and you know, all, like all relationships, there's all sorts of stuff, and you're from a large family, so I'm sure that there's plenty of material there that mm. from when you were born to now. But do you ever do you ever write write without writing songs? Do you ever sit down and write? Have you ever thought of writing a book? Have you ever thought of writing a, a novel? Or I have thought about writing a book a lot. I've started um, things recently. Recently, I had an idea because I, I've I, I think I'm a short form writer naturally. Do you know what I mean? Like I can sometimes write a song that has like that song that like it seems to be about this one thing and then it turns into yeah. like another special thing or whatever, you know? So I, I seem to have a kind of a talent for that type of short story writing. So I read a book recently by a writer called Dave Diebold and it's a series of short little stories. Then uh, they all, they're all part of it. It's all kind of about his family and his weird upbringing and stuff like that. But I, I got quite inspired when I read that because they were, they were all like a few pages long. And I was like, I could do this. Like, I don't think I have the discipline for a novel. I don't think my mind can reach, think in that big overarching way. I think I, fum I fumble on things a lot. And I think if I, if I like... It would it'd be hard work writing a novel and I'd be I'd be hoping that luck would get me through it or something. Whereas I think I can I could put together a series of shorter, shorter stories, perhaps. Brilliant. So I might try that. Yeah. Or a songwriting book. I'd like to I'd like to write a book about creativity and sort of things I've learned about it through the years. Brilliant. And speaking of book, any books you recommend? Anything at all apart from the one you just mentioned? Any of the, the, um, your favorite? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking, I was chatting to my wife about this today. Um, probably like the, my two of my favorite books I've read, and they're not recent. They're I haven't. I've I have a pile of books waiting to be read now. Like, like everybody gives me books. Like they think I have time to read books. <laughs> like, so um, I would say I have to go back a bit I absolutely loved uh, Birdsong by uh, what's that writer called um, yeah I have it um, I have it here uh, Fo um, Fo Fox Sebastian Fox Sebastian Fox yeah I loved that book just felt like it felt like timeless and it covered I mean I know it's based around the time of World War One and stuff like that but just the detail in the trenches when they when he's down in the trenches, like I really learned so much about World War One, and then it's kind of it's cut in with the sort of love story side of it. It was such a detailed, expansive, classic kind of book. I loved it. And then the other thing I loved, which is slightly 
different um, is uh, the corrections by uh, John John Falk, Faulkner. Is it? I don't know that one. Uh, okay, it's called the corrections. I'm going to Google it while I'm on on Richie here. It's much more um, the corrections books. Can't believe I can't remember this author's name. That's okay. Um, here it is, Jonathan Fra- 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 Fraser, I think. I oh, think Fraser, yeah, the, the the South African guy, yeah. Oh, is he South African? Yeah. So I'm here's the sure. thing: like, I'm I'm always giving out to people when they say, "Oh, I love that song." I don't know who sings it. Whatever. I'm always going, "How could you not know who sings it?" Because <laughs> I know every. But like, I know I read books and I couldn't tell you anything. Sometimes I can't remember the person's name. I don't know anything about them. But that's, that's interesting that he's South African. Um. I find I've read a few of his books and I think they're really interesting. They have this kind of stream of consciousness approach. It sort of breaks the literary rules a bit. You're you're Mm. a lot of the time quite confused as to what is going on, but uh, especially that book, The Corrections, because I think it opens with uh, this person who is perhaps a little senile or has dementia a little bit and like the first chunk of the book is is inside this person's mind and it's you don't even know what you're reading like it's so bizarre and then it sort of he allows you into the bigger story but i i love the corrections i met a friend of mine on the street last year and i hadn't seen him for years and he says to me i just read the best book ever and i went is it the corrections? He says, how did you know? Brilliant. <laughs> so, Brilliant. I don't know. So it's kind of like, uh, I would recommend it if somebody fancies a good read. It's Brilliant. interesting. And before I let you go, I'll just uh, forget about COVID because I'm just sick about talking about COVID. But what's, uh, what's in store in the future? What's, what's your plan and what, what would you like to, what would like to, to happen? Is it more, is it more albums? Obviously live music as soon as we can go back to live music, but, in terms of recording and anything like that? Yeah, so I have a few things I want to do and I want to do them quickly. I have a fierce hunger now on me um, to, to, to just move quicker. Um, there was five years between my last record and Father, Brother, Son. Five years, like, because I don't know. Somewhere in there, I sort of lost a bit of passion, lost a bit of direction. I mean, I had other life things as well, obviously, like having a baby and stuff like that. Definitely. Um, lost. Maybe I lost a bit of confidence or direction or something, but I feel very charged now. I don't know why. I just feel very charged. So last year, as soon as lockdown started, father, brother, son wasn't out yet, but it was finished. And so I made another record in the studio uh so i sort of have that ready to go but it's it's like the antithesis of father brother son a bit it's like father brother son i was trying to be very uh organic with my choice of instruments and and very personal kind of record sort of deep exploring sort of psyche and relationships and stuff and this is this is the is really good fun like it's like really sort of stone or rock kind of throw away but super melodic sounds like written from the point of view of the composer john cage and stuff like this it's like just like i was having fun with music playing really 
so I have that done and I'm thinking uh, I'm going to bring that out this summer because they're really bright sounding, cheery songs, you know, but I might do it under another name completely. So I'm going to invent a name for myself. I might even be a band name because it kind of sounds more like a rock band a bit, this one. Um, because in my mind, I need to keep that separate. I need to have this classical songwriting thing that is Oliver Cole, I suppose. I even call myself Oliver Cole. No one calls me Oliver Cole. Everyone calls me Ollie. But on the record, Father, Brother, Son, I call myself Oliver Cole, and it's like, I see Oliver Cole as the more serious, uh, deep thinking side of me. But I do have this frivolous kind of fun side as well. So I'm going to try and separate them. I'm going to give them separate musical identities. So I'm going to bring out an EP this summer. This is just, this is just my thought process at the moment. And I don't know what I'm going to call it, but I'm going to, going to just call it something else and let it because I write too much. I write all the time. I have too much material. I need more vehicles. <laughs> I need like, if, if I could put, if I could be writing like a sort of an upbeat kind of really super catchy kind of pop song thing, I, if I can in my mind say, well, that goes there and then write something more beautiful or whatever it is or serious or whatever the word is, then I can go, well, that goes there. I don't know whether this will work, but it's an experiment to double my creative output, allow me put out more stuff quicker. And then the, all of, the next Oliver Cole record is already written. So it's just a matter of waiting until COVID gives us a chance to go into a studio because those records will always be yeah. recorded with real musicians and tastefully sort of made. And then, yeah, and then I'm going to try and kickstart the other side project thing as a way of just pumping out other stuff quicker. Brilliant. I just want to make as much as a music as I possibly can before I have to die. I don't want to die, but I'm going to have to someday. And <laughs> in between now and then, I need to make as much music as I can. I'm sure that there'll be plenty of time before that, but look, uh, it sounds yeah. fascinating. And uh, I'm looking forward to hear the new stuff coming out. And, and hopefully see you some live venue whenever that happens again, somewhere in Dublin or, or in Mead or in Galway or who knows, anywhere. Yeah. Uh, but until then, Oli, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks a million for your Thank time. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed the talk. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. If you eat an apple seed on oh my, will it grow? Will it grow? Will you lead an apple life? I don't know And will branches Replace your ankles And will leaves grow Between your toes And will It's
And if you eat a sunflower seed indeed Will you grow very tall And tower over everyone And face 